Parenting is often lived in the extremes. It's either great joy or chaotic overwhelm. In one moment you're nailing it and the next you're losing your cool. I want to help you find your way to the messy middle, to a place of balance. You see, balance is a verb, not a state of being. It is a thing you do, not a thing you are. It is an action, a process, a series of micro-corrections that you make each and every day to keep yourself feeling centered. We are never truly balanced. We are engaged in the process of balancing. Hello, I'm Dr. Laura Froyan, and this is the Balanced Parent Podcast, where overwhelmed, stressed out, and disconnected parents go to find tools, mindset shifts, and practices to help them stop yelling at the people they love and start connecting on a deeper level, all delivered with heaping doses of grace and compassion. Join me in conversations that will help you get clear on your goals and values and start showing up in your parenting, your relationships, your life with open-hearted authenticity and balance. Let's go. Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Laura Froyan, and we are back with another episode of the Balanced Parent Podcast. And today I have a guest, a dad, a therapist, and the host of the Dude Therapist Podcast, Ellie Weinstein. It's so nice to have you here with me. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. You know, it's not very often you find great podcasts about parenting. And as a parent, always looking for good things to listen to and to be a part of. So I'm really excited. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So tell my listeners a little bit more about yourself, like who you are and what you do. Sure. I'm a therapist out in New York. I work in a clinic right now in Queens doing everything teletherapy because of Corona. So really my office is wherever I am. And uh, I'm a father of a one and a half year old little adorable cutie. Her name is Ricky married to my wife for a little over five years and just taking it day by day, you know, taking it day by day. Yeah. So you're in this transition phase, you know, so the, the statistics about marriages and that first year of ha- like, as you've transitioned to parenthood are pretty bleak. I don't know if all of our listeners know this, but marital satisfaction plummets in the first year after you have a baby in general averages and doesn't start to recover until that baby is three. And so you're in the midst of that. I'm like on the other side with my older kids. How is it going with the little one? <laughs> I would say that we're a very strong, you know, we have great communication. We're very strong in our bond and what, and why we're married and what we're married for. Definitely. It's been a rough year, Mm -hmm. you know, with, you know, more stressed on edge, frustrated and snippy. I'm speaking for myself, you know, more snippy and snappy at little things and, and getting frustrated a lot easier, but that comes with the territory of being a parent and literally throwing a human being to take care of into the mix of the life that you thought you already got used to of being married. So it's been a bumpy ride, but not in a bad sense, just about the natural way it should go. And we really enjoy it. We're really enjoying parenting. Yeah, that's awesome. I think it's so important for everybody to know that when we transition into parenthood, there's three identities that are shifting there, right? There's the mom or the um, one parent's identity. There's the other parent's identity. And then there's the relationships identity is also shifting and needs to go through a transition. Is there anything that you have done that's made that easier for you and for your wife? Definitely trying to, you know, before we had a kid, it was more, a lot easier just to have like date night or intimacy, not just in the bedroom, but outside of the bedroom of just connecting and spending time with each other. And now it has to be like a very active thought process or very active, you know, date processing and very intentional. 
So when we do have a moment or something that we would enjoy, we make it a moment to realize this is our time and we're going to take advantage of it. Whether it, you know, I bought her for her birthday, it's called the Adventure Challenge book. It's some new Instagrammable book that's like a scratch off, <laughs> you know, date night that you don't know what's going to happen until oh you gosh. scratch it off. And like, like those little things. So like, if we know we have babysitting and we know we can do without worrying about our baby, we'll do something from there or we'll watch our favorite movie or our favorite TV show or go out to dinner or whatever it is now with Corona and wherever you live, trying to do our best to have moments of each other with each other, just with each other. And it, it's been a challenge, but we made it work. We made it work. And also sometimes it's just not forcing it and just relaxing because we're so tired, you know? Yeah. Giving yourself a little bit of like grace and permission, right? hundred percent, you know? Yeah. And I don't know about you, but for me, my husband and I realized early on, so we were, we became parents while we were in grad school. He was getting his PhD in accounting. He's a tax nerd <laughs> and I was getting my <laughs> PhD. Yeah. Oh, it totally is. <laughs> oh, it's so bad. Anyway. I mean, he's wonderful. I love him, but totally nerdy. When we were dating, he would like call me at night and he would be like, eating nachos and reading the tax code. He's such a nerd. Anyway, mm. <laughs> but when we were in grad school and it was just so like easy to go through the motions of being partners, we were so, you know, we were both writing our dissertations. You know, I had practicum because I was in a clinical program. You know, we had a baby. It was so easy to just fall into the day to day. And so we really realized that when we started noticing the snippiness, the kind of a lat, like shortened window of tolerance for each other, that's when we really needed to like put our phones away, put our computers away. Like we would go tech free for the first hour after our kid was in bed. And that really helped us. And we still do that to this day. You know, I think that's a very amazing goal. Um, you know, I think it's a wonderful thing to do. I also think that once we finally got a schedule for mm. our daughter, that also helped, you know, whether it was, you know, I know Corona for my family has moved us around between places, you know, we were based in Queens. My wife's from LA. We went to LA for four months to be with her family to get away from New York and the craziness of Corona and be mm. in the, you know, fun in the sun. And now we're back in New York and, you know, the time change and all these things, just getting into a, a habit and being with each other. We've worked around the schedule, but it's very important to make that time because the snippiness is going to happen, right? Your window, yeah. I like that the window of tolerance of dealing with each other is shorter and you want to enjoy yourself and be with each other and have a good time and not be frustrated and resenting each other all the time just mm -hmm. because there's a beautiful baby in your life. Also, I would say just to throw something else in there, my wife and I went through infertility. So mm. our child, whether good or bad, is like a huge blessing in our life that we truly don't take for granted and yeah. are 100% bought in with the good times and the bad hard times because we have had to work so hard to, to have this child. Yeah. So that gives us like a different perspective that we might not have had before if it came naturally or a little easier than it did. Yeah. Oh, so your parenthood was hard won. I mean, that can bring a whole set of unique layers to it too. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Well, one thing I love hearing about on your podcast is when you talk about mental health. And I think that we don't talk about mental health for dads as much. I was just talking with another colleague of mine and she had read a study that opened her eyes to the rates of postpartum depression in dads. Mm -hmm. And this is something that I included in my dissertation because my dissertation was on how parent depression influences parenting practices. Love that. Yeah. I love yeah. to read that. 
oh, it, it's super nerdy, but good, you know, <laughs> but I'm a therapist nerd. I got yeah. it, you know? Yeah. And so I, but I think that we don't think about like mainstream folks. I don't think know that dads can experience postpartum depression too. Can you talk with us a little bit about that? I love to, cause I know when my wife was pregnant and we were getting like the ready to go bag and all those things and the checklists and mentally getting prepared when we were leaving the hospital, whatever class they gave us at the hospital to let us know we were okay. Even the class was focused on the mom. Like here are signs of postpartum depression for the mom. And here are some, and I knew that as a therapist, but it's never bad to have a refresher course. And just to keep me aware because my mind was so frazzled and I barely had sleep for, you know, the last couple of days, just having a baby. So my focus was always on her, always on her, always on her and the baby. And I lost track of myself in that and actually had my first panic attack about mm -hmm. a month into my baby's life. I thought I was dying. You know, it also gave me a great insight into my clients who have panic attacks. And when they tell me the, the feelings and symptoms, and I'm like, yeah, sure. I know this from the books. And now I can say like, yeah, I understand. Like, not that I would never say I understand, but I get the perspective of what they're saying. And then the focus was on me. My wife is a warrior. I mean, she's Wonder Woman. She's amazing. She's strong and she's great. And I love her to pieces. She was totally fine afterwards in the confines of having a baby, right? And, you know, there's always changes in hormone levels. And she had a C-section, an emergency C-section and all the stuff. And it was a lot of stress. But regarding her mental health, she was bought in. She was great. The only stress she had was the breastfeeding and how frustrating it was. Yeah. Other than that, I was the one who had most of the mental health issues when it came to the parenting side. And as a therapist, I looked at myself and I said, come on, what the heck? Like, you're the therapist, get it together. Or this is not supposed to happen to you. It happens to the woman, not the man. Like, what's wrong with you? And it's very true that there is a huge case of postpartum mental health issues with men and dads out there. And when I started posting about it and talking about it, dads were like, oh, I went through the same thing. Oh my gosh, I didn't know you did that. Oh, wow, it's so interesting. I had the same feeling. Oh, you know, and it was just so interesting to see how common it is, but less talked about or focused on the mainstream thought process of mental health with postpartum. Yeah. You know, and I mean, like, it's not to say that women are so beautifully supported as they leave and enter yeah. into motherhood. They're not like it, postpartum depression and postpartum like, perinatal mood disorders more broadly are v still yeah. very poorly understood. And women, oh my gosh, we need so much advocacy, but dads do too. You know, there's, or whoever the non-birthing parent is, you know. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. You know, yeah. Yeah. I think parent mental health in general, needs more attention and more support. It's so important. It impacts so much. And in these incredibly formative years, we, mm -hmm. I mean, there's so much research on how important those first three years of life are, you know, and how important no parents are. Right, I know, right. <laughs> I'm in it, no pressure. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Was that no, too much? No, it's true that, no, no, I love it. I love the pressure. You know, it's so true that there's not enough focus on that mental health piece which is not just for the parents, but also the impact that it can have on the child or children yeah. and how that plays in their life. And also what I would say is that I think it's very interesting that the focus is a lot about the women. And you're right. I don't think that women get a, as much support. Even the terminology we use for, uh, you know, time off is like a disability and all the ways we look at it as a problem or like an issue or a handicap that you gave birth to life to continue the generations of the world. It's a totally different conversation yeah. for a totally different time. But I think mental health and parents should be a huge focus, but is not and is forgotten or pushed aside to different things and is very hard to figure out. And there's so many complex layers going into it as well, yeah. biologically, 
you know, your space, your identity, who you are, where things are going, your life, your routine, your behaviors, your habits are just thrown up in the air. And you have this little baby relying on you and you need to be okay as well. And that's a very hard thing. It is. It's hard. And I also think that fine, like there's one piece like coming to realize like, oh gosh, I'm not okay. And then taking that next step to find like figuring out, okay, so who do I go to? Um, I know you have a recent podcast episode kind of on that, right? Therapy 101 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think folks should check out the episode. I'll link to it in the show notes here on that. But I also have a video that kind of breaks down all of the letters after people's names so that you understand who you're yeah. going for and who to look for and who does. The alphabet's things. crazy, man. They got every, every letter in the alphabet's used in most people. You know, it's, I was just <laughs> talking to someone, Jory Rose. And she is an LMFT and I didn't get a chance to ask her on the podcast, but like talking about what your letters after your name mean any different than an LMHC or an LCSW or a PhD yeah, um, and how that can change someone's choice in deciding if you're the best fit for them. I know for me, the moment where I actually needed to ask for help was when I was up half the night, but literally sitting on the floor in the living room, almost pulling my hair out in anxiety and not knowing why. And realizing and looking in the mirror and going, something's not okay. And I think I had a better perspective on it because I'm a therapist. And for the regular person in the world who might not be trained or might not know or have knowledge of what, where, and how can be very scary. And it was already scary for me, can be very scary about, well, I don't know where to go next. And sometimes it's very hard for the partner as well to see that because they're so overwhelmed with their own stuff that they might not be able to help or have compassion fatigue already helping their child to be able to help another human being is just that much more of a challenge, but definitely get help if you need a hundred percent over. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if anything else, you probably have like your kid's pediatrician on like that you can message in through, you know, your doctor, like the, I don't know, the pediatrician office app, but if you can send a message there, they will send you a list of referrals and you know, actually go. I don't know what it was when your kids were younger, but when we were starting off the first few, you know, weeks or, or so of, of the doctor's visits, they made me do a, like a, like a parent's PHQ-9, like of a depression course, yeah. scale kind of thing. And when I scored, I didn't even realize what they, what it was because it wasn't framed in the same way as a regular PHQ-9. Uh, it was like hidden. Mm-hmm. And when the doctor looked at it and said, is everyone okay? And mm-hmm. we said, yeah, the baby's great. She's growing. She's beautiful. She's la- you know, she's cute. There's no, no, are you guys okay? Yeah. And my wife's like, yeah, I'm doing good. Actually, my, my husband's not. Oh. And he then turned to me and said, what can I do to help? Oh, that's awesome that and, you had that. Yeah. And that point on, I fell in love with this pediatrician. He's very in tune. He keeps checking in on me. He's like, hey, I'm doing great now. But the first month, and then what really changed for me as a father was paternity leave. That was mm. a life changer. If you can, I highly suggest that one, for the dads out there to connect with their children and two, for the moms to get a break. And for the moms to help and give trust and confidence in their husband or other partner to feel like they can do it because I know, and my wife even feels this way now, even though I'm confident and I'm very good at what I do as a parent and I'd love my daughter and I would do anything for her. She's a default, you know, mommy, mommy, this, that, oh, mommy, mommy, everything's mommy. And it's adorable and cute. I'm not jealous whatsoever, even though secretly I am. So I would (laughs) love the hugs and kisses for myself. But that being said, Sometimes parents push the other parent away, not on purpose, 
just because they become the default and the other person kind of sits there with their hands twiddling their thumbs, not knowing how to be confident and be a parent as well. So for yeah. me, paternity leave was a huge eye opener because I had no other option. My wife was at work. So yeah. I had, had to, to figure it out. Yeah. And it changed everything for me. And from that point on, it clicked and I've never looked back. And I've spoken to other parents, dads, moms, any combination of parenting. That to me, I think is a huge turning point for a lot of people to build their confidence that they can do it and their baby's going to be okay. Yeah. And, and the it's going to be a wonderful bond. Yeah. And that mutual confidence too. I think, you know, I can do, trust you. Yeah. I can trust you. And then you're able to, you know, project more confidence and it just builds from there. I so agree. You know, our leave policies in this country are awful in general, but my dear cousin who is practically like a sister to me, I mean, has a new baby at home and her husband's company has no paternity leave. None. That is the thing. So he's working from home for two weeks, but other than that, he'll be back. And it's, we do such a disservice to families when we don't get, aren't able to take the leave. But then there's also like for many men who I've spoken to and in the academic circles that I run in, men are discouraged from taking it too. They think, I mean, it's not your job. It's not your job. You shouldn't be doing that. Right. And if more men did take it, it would even the playing field. So like in academic couples where both couples are on the tenure track, it takes, and they're heterosexual, it takes women seven years longer on average to get tenure because wow. they have clock restarts, they take time off. And it, I mean, and it's, it just perpetuates the differences. We're getting into the patriarchy and that's a whole nother topic but too. I, I, did, I actually so did, a, in grad school, I did a, a research study on paternity leave and maternity leave in other countries. And the Netherlands, I would move to the Netherlands just for that. Yeah. The amount, they give like a year to two years off for parents. Per and they, parent. And um, I, I definitely for the mom. Definitely for the mom. I'm not sure about the father. I don't think the father was actually spoken about in the research studies done oh. in other countries. Definitely, it was the focus was the mother, which is a whole nother thing. A whole right? nother thing, yes. Whatever. And that the mom got a year off with solidified job, you know, mm-hmm. safety and full pay and a nanny for the first three to four months. It's like this crazy, but that's a socialist country or other countries of that nature. That's what you get. Even in London, that happens. In the UK, you get a nanny, like a a baby nurse for a little bit. Wow. Um, So it's interesting how we are considered the most free and wonderful country. But something so simple as as uh, having a kid can be so interesting. I mean, that's what. Not to this, get into politics right here in a parenting well, thing, but we're getting real and, and and raw into it. You know, parenting is political. It's inherently 100%. political. You know, and I mean, this pandemic has highlighted that so much in our country, the way that we rely on systems that are faulty and that always fall back. I mean, there's a reason why hundreds of thousands of women left the workforce in the fall. I have many I mean, colleagues of mine who left because of parenting. Yeah, because they had to do childcare. The kids weren't going yeah. to school and it would, I mean, it disproportionately impacted women yep. too. So, I mean, whew, we can get all fired up about this. <laughs> okay, so one last question that I wanted to ask you. So this is something that I hear from dads that I work with all the time and from my own husband. They tell me that they don't want to learn about parenting, that they want to be able to trust their instincts. They want to just be instinctual. And I, I wanted to kind of get your take on that as a professional and as a dad like how like tell me what do you think about that what's up with that I'm smiling ear to ear I love that question my wife and I have had multiple conversations about this and for me it depends on the topic my wife is a dietitian so she is trained in eating and how to eat well 
and what to eat, when you should eat it, and how much you need to eat, and what foods you should eat. And she's done research on this, and she has a degree and works this every day, just like I work as a therapist. And I, when it came to feeding our child, was instinctual. I'm like, oh, they should eat this and that because that's what my brother did and that's what my parents did. And oh yeah, why eat this? Why eat that? And my wife's like, I want to do baby lead weaning. <laughs> and I said, what is this? And she taught me about it. And I was so, I would push back on it. You can ask her, she'll vouch was a hundred percent. She pushed back and I pushed back. And I said, this is ridiculous. Why do we have to do this? She's going to waste all this food and we should just feed her the jars and all the things. My baby has such an eclectic palate. She eats everything and anything that we eat, she eats. If you haven't had a chance to look into it, it's called baby led weaning. Um, the baby leads. And it's a very big thing in Europe. And it's only getting steam in America now. Oh, yeah. But Both of my kids were baby led weaned. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. amazing. I push back because I felt into this intuitive thing. But as an avid reader and someone that I love nonfiction and I, it's my go-to read, I read everything nonfiction. I love baby books and parenting uh, books. So you were willing to read those books? Because that to me is for my knowledge as a therapist and I'm a dad. So for me in my thought process of what I love to do and a passion of mine, I thought this is great. One, another excuse to buy more books. Two, <laughs> reading and knowledge and connections and thought processes and research and all these things that are great and open my eyes to a lot of things that I thought to be intuitive that were not or vice mm -hmm. versa, whether it's how to speak to your kids, how to deal with tantrums, all those things that I didn't really know or wasn't involved in because I wasn't a parent yet. Yeah. So I didn't even read those books. Why would I look into that if I wasn't a parent? But now as a parent, I'm looking to those books. It helps me with my clients who are parents who are dealing with teenagers, who are dealing, it just gives me a perspective. So it was kind of selfish um, why I read the books, but also because I want my child to grow up healthy and well, whatever that means for her um, and all my children to be great to their abilities and in their own uniqueness and beauty. But I also want to help them as much as best as I can as a parent. I go back and forth about the intuitive thing because I think women as a whole love to look into and research and are so driven by knowledge to help their child. They're all in because it's like, I think it's an innate beauty of the connection between the mother and the main parent or the default parent to their child to look into and research, whether it's strollers, car seats, what food to eat, when to do, sleeping routines, all these things. And the guy just sits there and goes, you got this. Hmm, and yeah. is not And I, I didn't feel involved because my wife is just, that's her personality. And I love her for it. And she went for it. And I took the reins for the mental health side and the development side of our child. I looked at it from that perspective and knew that stuff. And we came together as a team, but it doesn't mean we didn't get upset at each other or frustrated each other, you know, disagreeing on points about how to parent and when to feed our child and, you know, yeah. habits and sleep patterns and all those things. We got into it just like every other parent. But in the end, the one lesson that I take away from all of it is trusting my wife and her trusting me that when I say I've looked into something or I've done my research or I would like to do something as a parent to embrace it and try it out. Yeah. As long as it's not hurting our child, and I'm not suggesting something with malicious intent, which I hope no parent does, but you never know that it's for the best. And I'm not just doing it for fun. I'm doing it because I believe it's best for our child. And that's the conclusion we came to, to trust each other's instincts mm. and research and thought process and embrace it and love it and back each other up on it. Yeah. So like, what are the 
like I get what you're saying. And I think you're speaking to something called an accepting influence, which in the couples therapy world, we know is one of the hallmarks of a successful relationship that yeah. couples who accept influence from each other have more longevity. But the like when there is resistance to learning, to digging into questioning, okay, because oftentimes the f- parents that I work with, they're parenting against the grain. They are parenting differently than how they were raised. They are parenting in almost like a res- like revolutionary way, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and it's hard. It's not easy. And it's not easy like when you're one partner and you feel like you're kind of pulling your other partner along. Yeah. And I think women in general, and we're making generalities and kind of making assumptions about what a family is made out of. And I know I have a lot of non- hetero couples who listen to my podcast. But I do think that women, lots of the women that I work with feel plagued by indecision. They don't feel confident. They don't feel like they can trust their intuition. And I think it has a lot to do with the way that women are socialized. I think we're socialized to not trust our intuition. And I think that oftentimes men are socialized to be instinctual, to trust their gut, go with your gut, you know? And I think that that's one of the differences that really like there's a piece of like male privilege in wanting to just go with your instinct that is yeah, a little I, goes unexamined in the parenting world, you know? I love that. And I think it's so true. And my wife would love that I say this because she says it sometimes. Sometimes I say things with full confidence just because I think it might be true without knowing anything. And with like, and I'm a confident guy and I say it with full fervor and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> let's do this. And she's like, why? And I'm like, because. And she's like, because why? I'm like, I don't know. It feels right, right? Because yeah. I say it with so much excitement and energy doesn't mean it's right. And I think that my wife does not do that as much. She looks into it first before she has the confidence to say, Ellie, let's try this. Yeah. And I go, hey, you know, I saw this commercial. I saw some Instagram thing. I said, let's just go for it. Let's do it. And I don't look into it fully or know why it would be good. I don't do this very often. But when I do have a chance to do it, I do it with full excitement and intuition. Yeah. And so, and then and, there, there's room for yeah. balance there, right? Then yeah, so exactly. having a partner who balances you out. And as long as you are agreeing to accept influence from each other. Yeah. I think it's just about trying. One of the biggest things that I've learned from my parents and my in-laws and other parents that I've seen, my brother and my cousins and everyone that has a kid around me was teamwork. Yeah. And this is a lot easier said than done. By no means is parenting ever going to be easy, no matter how many books you read or how many classes you take or how many therapists you see. Parenting is hard because the children are complex and they're beautiful and magical in their own way. And each child could be different. So the things that work for the first child might not work for second, third, fourth, you know, and and really throw off your game. But the idea to be together, that you trust each other and have each other's back through that process and follow each other's leads when they take that lead to embrace that and push them forward and help them and be confident with them and let them do it, I think is important and totally, totally impactful for your mental health as a parent and the kids' lives as they go forward. Yeah, I so agree. I mean, that's what they say, right? Teamwork makes the dream work, yeah? (laughs) Yeah, and sometimes uh, the dream is hard to get to, but you get there, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think that that is so important. I think you're so right. Okay, so one last question for you, Ellie. So if you had to pick one parenting book, all right, so because I usually only get one recommendation on like what a parent is actually going to pick up and read, what would be the one that you would recommend all the dads listening pick up and read? So the one author, because he has multiple books, but I'll say the main book is The Whole Brain Child by Dr. Siegel. I think it's Daniel J. Siegel. Yeah. Um, and and uh, Tina with, with combined with Tina Bryson. Yeah. And I truly believe that their series is just so relatable and so easy to read. And as a parent, it totally speaks to me 
with experiences. They are parents. They have so much experience of being therapists for parents and children. I didn't have to think. It wasn't dense. It wasn't mm -hmm. sterile. It was just very personable and relatable. And the tips were interesting. And it kind of made me think about things that I might have taken for granted or didn't as a parent and why things happen when they happen to kind of understand just where your kids' heads are at at what stage in life so that you don't take it so personally as a parent yeah. or don't take it so seriously as a parent and know that your child's just being a child or being themselves and to love and embrace that and go along with it and work with them. And I think their main tagline is to connect and redirect, mm -hmm. right? When you see those parents get on like the level of the child and look at them in the eyes and, and be with them and talk to them. It's not silly. It's not ridiculous. It's not like new parenting or modern parents. <laughs> it's just being there with your children to understand where they're coming from and treat them like they should be treated, which is a child with a brain growing and developing. And that truly to me was one of the better books I've read. And I'm still you know, I bought a few of them and now I'm on to my next one, The Brainstorm, which is for teenagers. Yeah. Oh, I love The Whole Brain Child too. I think it's a wonderful book. If you're looking for a deeper dive from Dan Siegel, Parenting from the Inside Out is also lovely, but that's really like the deep stuff, you know, yeah. when you start confronting your triggers and your trauma yeah. and all the yeah. good healing you've got to do. So 100% yeah. all the good healing. <laughs> yeah. The book that I recommend most of the time for parents where I know I get one book is the How to Talk So Kids Will Listen series. That wherever is on you, my they bookshelf. Are. Yeah. That is my next book on my list of next, I mean, next to my bed. The How to Talk So Little Kids Will Listen. I don't know about you, but I know that for me, I took post-it notes and put fl like flags on all of the little places because it's if so If you helpful. ask anyone who knows me, <laughs> I literally have a collection of post-it notes every couple of weeks I order from Amazon and I get more and more. And every book I read, every nonfiction, which is usually what I read, is posted up with thoughts and ideas. I don't know what each one is, but I know that where the book is that I need to look and I can just yeah. rifle through the things. I love doing that. Me too. It's such a helpful way. And I think with, especially with how to talk so little kids will listen, every chapter has a one page summary and cartoons. So like graphic oh, novel that. style, <laughs> like, you know, so you don't have to read the whole thing because I'm moving it up in my list. I'm moving yes. it up. Good. Do it. <laughs> All right. Ellie, thank you so much for being here with me. Why don't you tell people where they can find you on Instagram? Sure. My Instagram handle is elevation underscore therapist or at the dude therapist reach out, DM me anytime you want with any questions and I can try to help you as best as possible. And uh, I hope you give it a listen. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you everybody for being here with us. And thank you, Ellie, for coming and chatting with us today. Thank you for having me. It's been really great. Okay. So thanks for listening today. Um, remember to subscribe to the podcast. And if it was helpful, leave me a review that really helps others find the podcast and join us in this really important work of um, creating a parenthood that we don't have to escape from and creating a childhood for our kids that they don't have to recover from. And if you're listening, grab a screenshot and tag me on Instagram so that I can give you a shout out. Um, and definitely go follow me on Instagram. I'm at Laura Froyan PhD. Um, that's where you can get a behind the scenes look at what balanced conscious parenting looks like in action with my family. And plus I share a lot of other really great resources there too. All right. That's it for me today. I hope that you keep taking really good care of your kids and your family and each other, and most importantly of yourself. And just remember balance is a verb and you're already doing it. You've got this. <laughs>